1: like in Argentina for River Plate or a Boca Juniors, or you're going to Europe.
2: He looked like the Ryan Kings of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matt look stupid. He made Mooney look silly.
3: Now, the Premier League is what, the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the
2: pieces... Kind of fell into place for everybody except
1: City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr, my co host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 350 of Low Limit Football on this 27th of February, 2022. I am your host, Joe Usalo, and tonight, Marcelo Bielsa is out at Leeds after one of the worst defensive performances in the history of the EPL. Jesse Marsh is set to take over at the club. Liverpool wins the EFL Cup over Chelsea after an 11-10 shootout with Keppa. Missing the sole penalty in the final and world turmoil overshadows World Cup qualifiers. We're going to discuss that and much more with our two very special guests tonight, Mister Ralph Hanna from the Guinness Book of World Records and Manuel Veth from Transfer Market, who will both be joining us in just a moment. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mister Roberto Rojas. What did you think of that final?
0: I thought it was actually very entertaining for a nil-nil final after 120 minutes. I don't really recall many finals that are that entertaining with. Zero goals scored, but I think with all the offsides and the VAR decisions, it's, it it makes it even more uh, frustrating. I would say mm-hmm. for for both those supporters of Chelsea and Liverpool. Obviously, Liverpool becoming the winners in this case, so congratulations to them. But yeah, well, man, I'm well. I'm actually happy that we're doing a show about this, especially after the chaotic week that I'm sure the entire world is knowing about of what's going on in in Ukraine and Russia. So you know, unfortunately. It also is affecting the sport as well that we all love. And, you know, I think what we saw as well from, you know, many, many people, fans, players, managers. I think that's why they call it the beautiful game, in my opinion. Just seeing all the support being made that is basically against war. And, you know, obviously we're here on record to say that we are against war. We don't want anything to indeed happen. But um, it it was really nice to see that, Uh, you know, in a community that they're able to support Um, such a a situation like this.
1: I I, I totally agree with you. And and obviously our thoughts and prayers with the people of Ukraine uh, as this goes on, you know, we're going to try to stick to footballing as much as we can in this. So let's um, we're going to get into it. We have two fantastic guests tonight. So let's um, your your honor. uh, It's your honor for trivia this week, my friends. So if you want to lay it on me, we'll uh, we'll see if we can figure it out at the end of the show.
0: All right, let's do it. So Real Madrid's Kareem Benzema has been involved in 28 league goals this season which makes him the player that is 34 years and older that the most involved in goals in the top 5 leagues. But
1: someone just moved up to second. Who is it? Who who's second for the most goals for 34 year old
0: um for a 34 year for a player that is 34 years or older,
1: or older.
0: in the top 5 European leagues.
1: Wow. That's going to be a tough question. All right, I'll have to give that some thought. i will have to rack through my brain and see who I can figure out uh, at the end of the show. So opening thoughts my friend let's get into it because we have on the line a great great guest with uh joining us who is very very uh well versed in this so uh from guinness world records mr ralph Hanna, joining us on the show to discuss the the turmoil in ukraine the fallout uh you know athletically or, or or sporting wise uh ralph welcome back to the show it is great to have you on how are you tonight my friend
2: hey joe hey roberto yeah it's good to be back thank you for Bring inviting me on, and happy to, to talk about this. I'm I'm doing well. Thank you.
1: So you know, let's let's start out. Um, let's start out from the FIFA aspect of this, because obviously within the past 48 hours, the the players and the federations of Czech Republic, Poland, and uh Sweden, if I remember correctly, Sweden, um, all three of them who are who are going to be playing Russia in a in a four team playoff to get one of those World Cup spots. All three of those sides have said they will not play Russia. Now FIFA came out earlier today uh, and said that uh, the Russian Federation will not be able to play those matches on home soil. They will not be able to use the the Russian flags or the Russian um, anthems uh, when they play these stadiums. They will be at a neutral site and there will be no Russian anthem played uh, for the match. And. My thought initially is this is not going to go well. This is going to be a situation where all three of those other federations are going to say, no, we are just flat out not playing them. And and unfortunately, you know, one of the biggest sufferers of this or these decisions is going to be the players themselves. Um and we've seen players like Federer, Smolov who've come out and said, we're not, you know, we're against this war. This is not our war. This is not Russia's war. You know, many, many players across many different sports, uh, all Russians have uh, have denounced this uh, this invasion of Ukraine. I want your thoughts, though, on the FIFA aspect of it. Uh, was it powerful enough what they've said? Uh, what about the teams that they're going to play? Will we see them eliminated from the World Cup? What, what are your thoughts on all that?
2: Yeah, it's... Um... Well, first let, let's caveat by saying there's this was the FIFA decision, and then there's there's kind of what's morally right or wrong. And I think the morally right thing would have been to to expel Russia completely for uh, mm. from this particular campaign with what's going on. But but then if we take a step back and look historically at FIFA and what they've done in their administrations traditionally, this is this is something that they they would have I think. I was trying to remember. Never really done before, based on based on a current conflict. the The idea of FIFA has always been to, to try, to try and separate sports from politics, which we know is basically impossible. But they've always tried to to avoid uh, taking those those more drastic decisions, like expulsion from competition. Um, I'm, we've seen before historically teams that have been in a, involved in a war playing in a World Cup. I mean, the most obvious is is England and the US in 2006 because they were involved with the Iraq war at the time we've even had England and Argentina were were directly at war in in 1982 and they played in in the Spain uh, World Cup you have going right back to 1938 Hitler's Germany was was in the World Cup in 1938 so looking at this more historically, and how FIFA have traditionally reacted, I think the idea of a, of a full expulsion of of Russia would would it would have been a huge surprise. I mean, I think what they've done now is more what we expected. There's obviously no way the games could take place in Russia for for basic security of of players, the basic welfare players, both both the home players and and the away players. So that that makes sense. I think it's a good step that they're not allowing flags and anthems because what we understand from sport washing is you would try and use sport to to show the better face the better side of your image where and and push some of that that patriotism and national, nationalism through sport which obviously they don't want to do so i can understand i think the the FIFA decision based on historic precedents but like i said at the beginning i think if we think about this morally if it's right or wrong that they that they play they really shouldn't be playing i understand oh. the point that it could be unfair on the players that's also the argument that was given around the state sponsored doping that in the olympics right that it would be unfair on athletes that hadn't been part of the doping program to, to not be able to compete just based on the, their country of birth but at this at this point, I think there is there would certainly have been a, a moral argument to say, well, they sh- they shouldn't be playing at this stage. So, Ralph, I mean,
0: obviously, you know, I don't want you to go into a huge, huge prediction, but like looking at all the situation that's going on, and you know, this is an ongoing situation, so we don't know what really is going to ha- going to happen. But if indeed they do play these matches on a neutral ground, what do you see it being the most viable? I mean, you know, we saw. With Brazil and Argentina, that you know that game that was suspended due to um, allegations of, of breaching COVID protocols, that they're probably going to play that game in Qatar. I mean, are we seeing a similar situation between the the Russian the Russian games against Poland and whoever they play in the in the final, or, or
2: how do you see this really coming about? It's a good question because I think there'll be an argument from the Russian side that they wouldn't want to play in in Europe, so. For them, they might be more comfortable playing somewhere in in the Middle East, for example, in Qatar, which is where the World Cup will end up being. That could be considered neutral. That's also, you talked about the Argentina-Brazil game. That's That's been touted as one of the possible locations for that Argentina-Brazil rearranged game. But then the the idea is that this is run by UEFA, so then it, it would, although we're saying FIFA, it's, it's UEFA here where these qualifiers are taking place, so it would make much more sense to... To take place there, and then you have a number of locations. What we saw from COVID was the flexibility of certain countries that were able to host games. So the UK is one of them. Uh, Portugal was used, if we remember, for the Champions League semi-finals and final. So I think there there could be a few a few different options. Ultimately, I could imagine neither side being completely happy. And if I was if I was UEFA for FIFA, I would be leaning on the side of of Poland in the in this case, rather than than Russia, at least for this this first game, and then we'll see with the 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 final. So I, I I assume we'll end up seeing it somewhere in in UEFA. I think it makes more sense. So that would end up uh, possibly a Portugal, uh, Portugal or UK that that have been used as these neutral venues recently.
1: Ralph, I'm going to jump in here really quick because I do want to ask about Roman Abramovich. Uh, and his uh, involvement in this particular situation. Uh, obviously, he's been a, a backer of of Vladimir Putin, so there's a there's a political tie there. But obviously, as the owner of Chelsea, he's done quite a bit to bring many many trophies to Chelsea Football Club. Uh, this week, he announced that he was going to relinquish control of the team to the Chelsea Foundation. Apparently, right now the 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 messaging there is a little muddled because it sounds like the foundation uh, doesn't want control, it doesn't have control of it. So. I, I know we have a, a Russian owner at Chelsea. I believe we have a Russian owner at Monaco as well. How does this conflict affect the ownership of those clubs and what those clubs will be able to do uh, going uh, going forward
2: as this uh, as this situation progresses? Yeah, it's, it's an excellent question. Is the the real answer is I think not many people know. They're not, they're not very sure at this point because the the sanctions that are coming in the economic sanctions. Um, are becoming more wide-ranging. If we see, with the, for example, the Swift transactions, and and removing Russia from the whole financial financial kind of uh, sphere, global sphere, mm-hmm. then that would that could really affect could affect these um, these owners if if they don't have a way of of recouping their investment, say in in five ten years. Who knows how long this this could all go on for? So it's definitely a very big unknown um with the specific question around around Abramovich it's yeah it was an interesting use of language i don't know when they used the word stewardship in the in the statement and that they were giving to the to the chelsea trust how i saw that was or how i've interpreted that is it's looking like it's day to day management and administration and, and certainly in the short term but i don't know what that means about long term ownership but let's say Abramovich does want to get out can he can he sell is he allowed to sell mm. his asset or or is that asset frozen as as the the UK have been saying there will be freezing assets in uh, of of a certain list of people and, and, and Roman Abramovich Roman was one of those people listed so <clears throat> there's there's a lot of questions about what it means exactly Mm-hmm. And and how much influence or say would would he still have? We've we've seen similar situations, uh, not based not necessarily based on this kind of situation of a of a global or international one, but but Roberto and I follow Paraguayan football a lot, and you have somebody called Horacio Cartes who became president of the country, and that way he couldn't be the direct owner of of Libertad, which was the football club he was. He was owning, so he became something like an honorary president and he wasn't in anything day to day. He's he wasn't the face of the club anymore. He he had no involvement during that period. He was president of the country. But what everybody understood was his money that he'd invested for for the last twenty years or so, so very similar to to Abramovich in that kind of time frame, that money was still there. It it didn't it didn't go away. He didn't try and pull that money or re uh, recoup that that investment so it's very hard to know exactly what this will mean and i think the real question is is when we will see how long term this could be because could these sanctions be very short could there be peace talks next month and then and then things are reversed or could this be something that drags on for years and and depending on that the the owners are going to have to decide what what they want to do Certainly. Or, or how they will try and recoup some of this if they're not not able to manage their assets. Certainly. Ralph, thank you for coming on the show
1: and, and joining us, uh, for especially giving us the historical perspective as we move through this conflict. Um, always the best, my friend. And I look forward to seeing you again soon, possibly uh, together again in Boston sometime this spring.
2: Yeah, let's hope so. Thanks for having me on, guys, and have a great show. And, yeah, hopefully we see each other in person soon. And special
1: thanks again to Ralph Hanna for joining us on the show. Roberto, we actually were followed by a second guest, uh, Manuel Veth from Transfer Market, was able to join us to discuss the Ukrainian situation as well as going to Germany a little bit. So without further ado, the Manuel Veth interview and joining us now on Low Limit Football from Transfer Market, Manuel Veth. Manu, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you back. Um, I, originally, we had asked you to come on the show so that we could talk about German football, and we will get mm-hmm. to that in a moment but I was like I told my my co-host, Roberto, I was today old when I found out that you wrote your thesis on Soviet Union football. So given everything that's happened uh, today or, or this week with um, with the invasion of Ukraine that we've discussed with Ralph Hanna, um, give me your perspective on, on what's going on and, and how football plays a role in uh, in Russian, either Russian relations, the Russian football team, uh, World Cup qualifying, which is going to be suspect at this point. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on everything that's happened there?
3: Oh, man, yeah, complicated. Um, obviously, I, I spent a, a big part um, of my PhD research in, living in Ukraine, um, in Kiev. Learn, learned the language there, um, Russian. You know, obviously, a lot of people know that it is a bilingual city. Um, so I think I, the last thing, from, as it has been for many people, have been a lot of turmoil right? And um, trying to figure out if friends are safe, Um, people that you know from back there are safe. Um, Thankfully, it sounds like most of them are as safe as you can be in a conflict, right? Uh, And then just watching it on TV and being shocked um, about it. Um, Yeah, I don't know, Joe, I I think we have to be a bit more specific, right? right? In terms of what what can happen next, um, I think FIFA put out a statement that um, was the most FIFA statement you can probably put out um, by not doing very much, games playing, being played on neutral ground and um, still under the flag of the Russian Football Union, but no longer with a national anthem um, on or, or under the name of the Russian Federation. I think that's a very empty gesture. Um, I'm always was someone who was opposed to to sanctions and anything that Russia has done before. Um, I think we gotten now to a point where this conflict has um, escalated um, into a full scale war, and we've seen a country breach all international laws. They are to breach almost all of them. I hope it doesn't get much further than that because that would suck all of us in into a into a global war. But. Um, I think you get to a point, too, where there's a lot of people on the ground in Russia who are unhappy with this. And um, I think that putting sanctions on the country in any form imaginable is the way forward, because um, you have to hurt the people who we who, who, who have to affect people's daily lives to, to, to force change within Russia. And that's the only way this conflict is going to change, right, or end. And that's going to be the only way to force any sort of regime change as well. Um, But yeah, I I think like my question back is like, what specifically do you want to know? (laughs) Because this is such a far sweeping, difficult topic, right?
1: Yeah. Let me, um, let me jump in and ask more about, I guess the, the, the player perspective, right? I mean, we've Mm. seen, it was a Fedor Smolov who came off and came out and said, you know, no to war and. What what now with the threat of of losing their ability to get into the World Cup, uh, you know, and and we can talk about the Ukrainian side of of the footballing as well. I I think there that's going to be a little a little more difficult as they're not the aggressors. Um, But but from the from the Russian footballing standpoint, what what can you expect? I mean, what what can you expect from? for the footballers who should have a little bit of power i mean these are going to be rich people in 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 russia not not roman Hmm. abramovich rich but uh but of course they're going to be well recognized um voices that are heard Uh, what can they do to affect change at least to bring about a peaceful solution to this issue
3: well it's very difficult right we had the in North America, to give you an example, we had Alexander Ovechkin on a, in a press conference, um, place for the Washington Capitals, famous hockey player, and who was on Team Putin uh, in the last election together with Evgeny Malkin and a bunch of other faces. And um, I think <sighs> it's really difficult to sanction individuals um, and um, because they all got sucked into a farce in, in a lot of ways. And I mean, it's very easy to pinpoint fingers at, at these people. Um I think there's a lot of people in the West that were blinded by it. I think we all celebrated Russia's World Cup as one of the best World Cups there ever was, right? And um, I think this is where on a personal level, I was also very disappointed because I thought, okay, well, this this shows that this is a country worth reforming and this is a country that isn't as bad as we think it is. And it is, you know, that the political decision makers are bad. They're bad people. And um, I think the, the the important lesson here is I mean, for the individuals, I mean, they can just speak out. Right? It's not like they can drive up to the Kremlin and shoot the president. <laughs> this, is, this is unrealistic. These are demands that no one can meet, right? That change has to come within within the power structures of the Kremlin and that's very difficult to achieve. Um, but I think they need to keep speaking out. They need to all speak out and distance themselves from, from this president um, and keep isolating him because that's the only way that we're going to have any meaningful change within Russia. And that's the only way to stop this conflict or stop Russian aggression is to get meaningful change within the Russian government. And, um, you know, I think too... Here's a really important lesson, I think, for us going forward, Joe, is that Russia was the king of sports washing. Whether it's Abramovich ownership of Chelsea, um, whether it's the World Cup, whether it's Gazprom sponsorship of Schalke in the Bundesliga and now Bundesliga 2, whether it's hosting many sport events, um, whether it's you know, financing UEFA and FIFA, that's the ki- they were the kings of sports washing and giving us an image that wasn't quite real, and um, that needs to stop. And it needs to stop going forward with other countries as well. Um, we're we're all pointing at Russia right now for being the kings of sports washing, but but we have places like Qatar or you know the UAE or Saudi Arabia doing the exact same thing. And although the gri- crimes aren't on the same level, it, it's the same methods. And so. Maybe we need to take a very long, hard look um, in the West and where the money that's coming from to finance essentially what is global football now, right? And I think this is where we have a long, hard lesson. And in terms of what's going to, have, what has to happen with the Russian national team, I think sanction, no World Cup for them, disqualify them, take them out of the competition. Take them out of the the hockey competitions as well, soccer, hockey, all major sports events. Take them out until this war ends, until they withdraw and they give back the Crimea and they give back uh, Luhansk and Donetsk, you know. Until then, um, isolate them. I think one very good comparison is probably what the world did to South Africa in the 90s. I think that's where we need to go. So, Mano, I mean, that was actually one of my
0: follow up questions is, you know, heading into these playoffs where, you know, the teams like Poland, Sweden, the Czech Republic are mm-hmm. not willing to play these games. You were just basically saying, no, forfeit, you know, get Russia out of there, kick them out. That would mean Poland would qualify and, you know, have those other three teams just
3: battle it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know, Czechia, Poland, and Sweden were quite clear. And the FIFA statement has said, oh, we're still in dialogue with them. It's like, I think they've said everything that is needed to be said. Robert Lewandowski issued a statement that was quite clear. And um, he was quite fair towards the individual Russian athletes as well. I mean, we need to point that out, right, in his statement. And I, I think that um, there, is, there can be no way that Russia is going to play World Cup games right now. Whether that's in the qualification stage or at the final tournament, and that needs to be off the table. Definitely.
0: Now, I wanted to ask more about those Russian players and, like, you know, for their statements. I mean, and obviously go into more of the Ukrainian players as well, because obviously we saw a lot of support being made, not just to Ukraine, but also from those Ukrainian players. Obviously, you saw yesterday at uh, Goodson Park between Everton and Man City, the, the mm-hmm. homage to Ukraine, with Janko and Man City and uh milenko on and everton i mean firstly what do you think about all that and all the support that's been going on and secondly looking at how russia russian players have been just really a bit outspoken you know i don't want to go into huge huge political uh yeah. discussion but i mean do you feel there is a, a case where you know they're gonna face these consequences for their actions
3: you mean russian players yes or I mean, what actions? It's not like they're involved in, in, in Ukraine's invasion directly, right? Mm. Um, I think it's come quite clear that this is not Russia's war, but Putin's war. Uh, the images that you see from even the soldiers, and uh, it's hard to, to laugh about a war ever, but the... The soldiers being stranded on streets in Ukraine and being lost and not knowing where to go, right, and thought this was an exercise. And you have these 18-year-old kids um, being sent into this war, um, many times not knowing the consequences. And, uh, you know, like you can punish, you have to punish the elite that makes the decisions, but not the individual people uh, in some sense. You have to punish them in a way that they force pressure on the elite, to make changes right and that's very difficult to do so you you don't condemn the individual for being Russian but you punish them in order to force them making change if that makes sense right yeah and and I think this is a this is a very it's a very fine line because Russian people as individual are not all bad right and many of them are very unhappy in the situation that they're in, but um, for them to make changes in in the government structure. And that's a very fine line to walk. Um, And at the end of the day, they have to live with the consequences of the government, like how it has been throughout the history of the world. (laughs) You know, if you're an aggressor country, not every citizen of that aggressor country is bad, but they still have to live with the consequences of the, the actions of the country. And I think this is where we are right now. Um, so I'm not saying, okay, uh, if you're a Russian player playing in the West, you shouldn't necessarily be banned from playing, but your national team should be. And I think that is that is where we draw the line. So like Alexander Ovechkin, for example, if he plays for the Washington Capitals in the NHL, we, cannot, we shouldn't punish him and not allow him playing in the NHL anymore. But we should definitely not allow his national team to play anymore, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think this is where I would go with this. Um, we started with South Africa. There were South Africans players playing in the Premier League, even during the, the height of the sanctions, um, while their national teams were not allowed to participate, right? So I, I think this is, this is where I am at. Um, but listen, I think that any sanction that you can possibly enact on the Russian Federation at the moment should be on the table. And... Um, Again, I think too that this is a major lesson for the West, and I'm really, I'm really curious what they're going to do with Chelsea, Roberto, because I know you cover the Premier League much closer than I do. But I, I put out a tweet with all the titles that Chelsea have won, with Roman Abramovich's money, yep. and Abramovich, as a figure, was directly involved in getting Putin to be the successor for Boris Yeltsin back in 1999. Putin, of course, came to power on January 1st, 2000. And um, I think this is something where Premier League functionaries have to take a long, close look in the mirror and really double-check the, the values that they have as a league because it's not just Russian money. Newcastle was just bought by the Saudis. Manchester yeah. City is owned by Abu Dhabi. You know, these are not exactly beacons of hope and democracy. And I think this is where that league, and we just I saw Twitter alight with the celebrations of the, the League Cup final. And half the half the participants and players were essentially financed by the Russian Federation. And um, this is where the West has to take a long, long, long look in the mirror and maybe ask about standards that we have when it comes to financing sport
0: it's a it's a huge big discussion that I think has to really be talked about. And well it's gonna be interesting to see how those clubs in the Premier League, you know, who are dealing with these kind of situations deal with it. But uh, we'll just have to wait and see. I wanted to switch gears obviously into more of the league that you're more of an expert in in the Bundesliga. And talk about an American player who I think a lot of us, you know, Joe included, had really high hopes because of the the time that he was doing at FC Dallas, and that's obviously Ricardo Pepe. Ricardo Pepe making that transfer Uh, you know, just last month to FC Oxford, you know, for about $20 million, the most expensive American MLS player to play for Europe, uh, Mm. the most expensive transfer in Oxford history. But he hasn't really come to light so far. He's had a couple games, obviously has not scored yet so far. And Mano, you you were talking about, I think, um, his performance so far in a recent game for Oxford. Just how do you think he's been faring so far? Is it too soon to say that it's not really working for him? Or do you feel that, In the end, you know, he was linked to other clubs as well. Wolfsburg was a club that was actually really interested in him at one point before Mm. making that switch. Do you feel that he kind of regrets making that move instead of going to Oxford? I mean, how do you feel this whole situation for Pepe?
3: Yeah, so I spoke to him in a media roundtable last week and I'd really tried to figure out why Augsburg. (laughs) Um, This has been something that's been not keeping me awake at night. I think there's more serious things going on at the moment that keep me awake at night, but from the day the transfer was announced, I've been trying to figure out why, because this is a club that has, that that spent $18 million on a part of their squad that they didn't really needed an upgrade in. And, um, they almost doubled their previous transfer record, right? Of course, Martin Hinteregger, um, they signed for, I think it was around 10 million euros back in the day from uh, Red Bull Salzburg. It was the previous transfer record. And you, and you see it in the, in the game um, that when Pepe plays, uh, I think today he had 16 touches, which was the, by far the lowest. Um, he completed just 50% of his passes. He didn't have a single shot on goal. Um, he's almost under under serviced, and um, there's a lot of expectations, of course, that come with with playing for a team that is this far down at the at the table, um, you know, fighting relegation. And they essentially brought him in as this guy who was going to be happy. Now that they refused to say that Chicago Fire in the off season because that was um, far more of um, an attacking contribution than Pep. In with a big money offer that um, was significantly more than Falfel Wolfsburg was willing to pay. Um, And that deal was, you know, pretty much all but done the deal to Wolfsburg before Augsburg came in. And I asked Pepe, was this about money? And he said, no, it wasn't about money. But then he also said, I talked about how he has to feed his family, right? And I was like, okay, well, um, and he knew about the risks, about going there. And uh, he's, he was quite clear about all of that. And uh, I still think, though, that in retrospect, and hindsight is always 2020, 20, if you go to Wolfsburg, and you're not going to be a starter there in his age, you know, even if they spent that amount of money. You see that with Kevin Paredes, he will probably spend most of this first half, of, like second half of the season coming off the bench, which is fine. Um, you know, there's a lot less pressure on that. You can learn to get used to the speed of the Bundesliga. You can get learn get used to the language, um, your surroundings, um, the playing style, and uh, get your minutes here and there and developed as a player who's only 19. And I think at Augsburg, that is just not possible. The expectations are that you come in, you score goals right away because you are a record transfer. And that's, that's what happens sometimes, right? Um, transfers can have a big impact on where you're going with your career. And it's going to be interesting to see how he's going to adapt to the situation. And I find it also really interesting what's going to happen if Augsburg get relegated. Because <laughs> it's not like you know, they're going to be able to, on his current form and the, the things that he's shown, it's not like they're going to be able to sell him with a profit at the moment.
1: Now I, I wanna jump in here because uh obviously we're talking about Augsburg, they are currently sitting at twenty three points. They are just outside of the relegation playoff zone by by uh by goal differential at this point, uh mm-hmm. ahead of Erta Berlin. Um but we have an interesting race at the bottom of the table. I know we Roberto and I have talked about Bayern Munich and probably are going to win it, currently eight points ahead of Dortmund. Yeah. Um we, we think that at least three of the top four in, in Germany are are for the most part set. Uh, I would
3: say all four.
1: No, uh, I I was see I was curious about. All right, let's. Well, we'll go there in a minute. Let's let's take the bottom of the table. Um, but when you look at the bottom of the table, Augsburg just outside uh, on goal differential at twenty three points, uh, uh on twenty five points, Munchen Gladbach, who's a Champions League mm-hmm. side, on on twenty seven points, even Wolfsburg at twenty eight. These are all big, big names. You can go up to uh, Eintracht Frankfurt, who's lost three straight, but I think at this point they're probably, you know, pretty close to secure where they are at. Um, but Wolfsburg, Mönchengladbach, Gladbach, Augsburg, Arto Berlin—these are all big names that we didn't expect to see in this battle. Um, you also look at uh, Stuttgart, uh, who's on 19 points. Yep. Possibly they've lost four of their last five, so I don't know if they're going to be able to turn it around and make a run out of the uh, the relegation zone. And Gruthert, who is on 14 points, but Actually, if you look at the records um, compared to some of the other teams they're chasing, right now the most successful over their last five matches. So this is a, a fascinating race at the bottom of the table, um, but with big names. Tell me about what your thoughts are of the big names in this, in this particular race, and will all of them survive?
3: Well, one of them is probably going to go down. Um, <laughs> wow. That's 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 but that's normal in the Bundesliga because we only have eighteen teams mm-hmm. and um, you know that's I know that's that's ten percent less than the other four top leagues have right mm-hmm. and as a result it's a little bit tighter um, and um, why Bayern are extremely consistent every year the rest of the league is not because it's quite tight and that leads to teams like Gladbach or Wolfsburg. Often in the relegation race, we have had big sides like HSV, Hamburg, of course, Werder Bremen, Uh, Schalke go down in recent years. You look at the Bundesliga 2 at the moment, um, there's there's more title winners in Bundesliga 2 than there is in the Bundesliga, right? And um, that's because the two divisions are very close. The top 36 in Germany is very tight, and um, that means that you have often very big names in the second division. Um, That's just the reality of it. And you have to remember, too, that whoever finishes uh, third last in the Bundesliga could face someone like HSV or Schalke in the playoffs. Right? And uh, that's... So you could get something like Hertha against HSV or Hertha against Bremen in the playoffs for one Bundesliga spot. Um, And that's... Yeah, it makes it very, very interesting. And you look at the bottom right now, I think Frankfurt, um, the math, the the magic number in the Bundesliga is always 40 points. No one has ever been relegated with 40 points, but it's been a long time since someone has gotten relegated with 38. Um, So like for Frankfurt, that's essentially two wins. And so I don't see them in in huge trouble. Um, Bochum have looked really good at times. Wolfsburg have looked better since the break and they're trending in the right direction um Gladbach is one that's so mostly cold right mm-hmm. so I'm ver- I, I do think that they have a lot of work ahead of them here to have been a disaster um Stuttgart you know Stuttgart is an interesting one for me because I actually think that of all the teams they have been the most quiet about where they are in terms of the relegation fight because of all the things that they struggled with in the first half of the season a couple COVID outbreaks several injuries, Kalejic being out for most of the season, Um, the trouble of Silas and him coming back from injury, now being back on injury. I think um, that's why Pellegrino Matarazzo hasn't been um, under as much pressure as he would have been if he was in another club, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's obviously not his fault. (laughs) It really isn't uh, with everything that has been going on. And um, so I, I and I actually still have a feeling that, you know, the goal differential is minus 17. Uh, when you look at Hertha, it's minus 29. And um, that that is an extra point in the relegation race. Uh, so I, I kind of wonder if Stuttgart, uh, Stuttgart are more than capable of putting four or five games in a row where they where they would get points and that can see you quickly climb out of there. Right. Mm. So that leaves you, Hertha are in big trouble. I think uh, Bielefeld do a very good job but um, they wouldn't be necessarily very upset if they go down because this is just where they are positioned as a club right okay. they are between they they are a top 24 team in Germany
0: mm-hmm.
3: um so for them to go down that's almost calculated um, every once in a while that there will be a relegation and then a promotion the next year so I think they'd be kind of fine with that and Augsburg is a Actually, technically, I actually, I'm surprised how long Augsburg have been in the Bundesliga because every year I have them as a relegation candidate. And every year they sort of manage to stay in. And so um, sooner or later, that's going to catch up to you.
1: Yeah, pesky MIG table team for sure. It seems yeah. like they are always they always tend to float somewhere between qualifying for Europe and qualifying for Bundesliga 2. It's just, yeah, they have yeah. a knack of doing that. I want to go back to your comment about uh, the top four setting in, uh, in in Germany as well. Bayern Munich, uh, 58 points, Dortmund on 50, mm. Leverkusen on 44. But then we have three teams that are at 40 points each. Uh, Leipzig, yeah, Freiburg, and Look at
3: Leipzig. They're, look at what I've done lately. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no.
1: They're talented. They've won three straight here at the moment. So has Hoffenheim by the way, but um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with you that I think Leipzig is going to be that number four team. Um, but you know, does Hoffenheim go on a, go on a run here and possibly push them at least to the end of the season?
3: No, no. Um, Leipzig. Uh, look what they've done in the Europa league midweek too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they might actually have Germany's best squad. Really? They just had the wrong manager to start the season. And uh, ever since the Descos come in, they've been incredible. Mm -hmm. Absolutely incredible. Um, You know what? You know what? I actually think they're going to finish third. They're probably going to catch Leverkusen down the stretch. They're very, very good. Wow. Very, very, very good. And I think with a different manager at the start of the season, they'll probably be pushing Bayern.
1: You know, Leverkusen also, if I remember correctly, yeah, they have a they have a very tough match uh, this week uh, where they're going to have to face Bayern Munich. Do you think Leipzig uh, could go on and win the Europa League?
3: Yeah, I think so. Um, I think they're Germany's biggest hope to win an international title for the Bundesliga. They're just... A very good side. You look at the what they've done in defense. Um, I think they laughed their way all the way to the bank when they sold Upamecano and Ibrahima Konate, right? Mm-hmm. And they brought in Sima Khan and Guardiola. And ever since Tedesco has come in, those two have been incredible. Um, and Kunku has been one of the most fun players to watch, uh, not just in the Bundesliga but also in Europe. And Andre yeah. Silva, they bought a striker who guarantees you goals. And since Tedesco has come in, he's delivered yeah. them. Right. And yeah. then you look at their midfield, I mean they con they consistently have one of uh Danny Olmo, uh or Campbell um on the bench.
1: You know, it it's it, and you know I I would start be, a game. I was gonna say I would be remiss not to mention Tyler Tyler Adams as well, um as, as one of those midfielders. Yeah,
3: as well, He did lots of players. So originally when we wanted. The depth is incredible.
1: Yeah, it's it's true. You know, it's just unfortunate that it didn't work out under Jesse Marsh. And uh, but Mm -hmm. it seems like they've gotten it turned in the right direction. I wanted to originally when Roberto and I talked about who we should have on the show this week, uh, my original question was that I wanted to ask you was the the injury history that we see coming out of players that have gone through Dortmund now we've we've seen durability in Robert Lewandowski who's been there we've seen uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang who's been rather durable but uh Gio Reyna spent 20 minutes on the pitch and and was re-injured uh I believe it was a a quadricep or hamstring I can't remember which one hmm. um we've seen Christian Pulisic who's come through Dortmund and and struggled with injuries um as well we've seen uh marco royce with a with a significant injury history is there something going on where the players at dortmund um you know medically are not uh, are not you know succeeding like they should
3: no i don't think that's it i think it's um i think it comes down to the individual players marco royce for example um has changed quite a bit about his uh, fitness regime right um with with Gio Reyna, you just need to look at his father, and you know it's genetics, yeah. unfortunately. Uh, Pulisic. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why he struggled so much in Dortmund's, his last year in Dortmund as well, right? Right. And he hasn't really ever been able to stabilize his body. I think Dortmund knew what was going on, and that's probably always one of the reasons why they were happy to move him on. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Even Usman Dembele, if you think about it.
3: Yeah, but look at his lifestyle.
1: Yeah, it's true. That's true.
3: Right? So I actually think it's like a lifestyle choice. Um, you can argue, of course, that uh, maybe Dortmund attracts these players. They see the talent only, and they don't really look at the the, the what kind of life these people live individually. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, genetics – it's hard to predict. Um, another one is of course Erling Haaland, who's you know missed it, missed almost half the games this year. And every year his injury history is getting worse, and um, that's an open secret around Germany. That you know one of the reasons why he might never go to the Premier League is because his there's a history of uh, knee problems in his family, mm-hmm. and um, that is maybe you know also why these players ultimately go to Borussia Dortmund because. They, they know that they can put themselves in the spotlight there and um, they, they have the sort of uh, support system to actually get a good career and then they leave and then it goes sideways, right? right. This, is, this is sort of how I look at it. Um, but you see that with a lot of players. Um, the moment they don't live 100% professional life, it, it gets difficult. Look at the, the injury history that Arjen Robben had throughout his career or Frank Ribéry. Uh, and it was lifestyle changes that, um, even though they still had a lot of injuries, um, it was ultimately lifestyle changes and that that ended that that helped them play a longer career at Bayern Munich. And um, I think this is really this is really the the thing that you need to out, watch out for the most. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, like these small niggling injuries that players have either you can't do anything about it because it's genetic or it's maybe because of how they conduct themselves off the pitch.
1: Right. Manu, I want to thank you for joining us and giving us so much of your time today. Uh, Always the, always great to have you on Um, all the best. And hopefully we'll, we'll speak again very, very soon.
3: Oh yeah, definitely. Anytime.
1: And special thanks again to Manuel Veth for joining us on the show. Roberto, we've got some matches of the week coming up this week. Um, and again, like, like we've said, we're going to dive into MLS a little bit deeper coming up in the next few weeks, but uh, they're just getting underway this weekend. So let me give you the matches of the week coming up. So on Saturday, we've got a big one that we'd mentioned with Manu earlier. Bayern uh, Bayern Munich, Bayern Leverkusen, 9.30 a.m. in the Bundesliga. And then at 3 p.m., we've got Real Madrid and Real Sociedad playing uh, 3 p.m. again, like I mentioned, in La Liga. We're going to close out Saturday with Charlotte FC opening their home opening match against the LA Galaxy at 7.30 p.m. Saturday night. On Sunday, we have the Manchester Derby at 11.30 a.m., Manchester City, Manchester United, and then at 2.45, Napoli and AC Milan We'll, uh, we'll go toe-to-toe for really to kind of tighten up that Serie a match uh, race that we've been talking about. And we're going to close the week on Sunday at 2.45 p.m. with Marseille and Monaco in League 1 as well. So, Roberto, you gave us a great trivia question about Karim Benzema and 34-year-old strikers. You want to lay it on the listeners again?
0: Well, it's players, not just strikers. But the Uh, question is, Real Madrid's Karim Benzema has been involved in 28 league goals this season, Mm -hmm. which makes him the player that is 34 years and older, the most involved in goals in the top five league. But someone just moved up to second.
1: Who is it? Wow. And you know what? I've been thinking strikers the whole time, but now you said players. And I'm like, oh. So I'm going to throw another name out there that I think he's older than 34, and I think he also scored on the weekend. Let me give you Luka Modric. It is not Luka Modric. Okay. So then I wrote down two names, okay. okay? The first one I'm going to give you is Fabio Quagliarella.
0: It is not Fabio Quagliarella.
1: The second one is going to be Luis
0: Suarez. And it is also not Luis Suarez. Ah, sorry.
1: So give it to me. Who is it?
0: So only Karim Benzema is involved in more goals with 28 than Dimitri Payet
1: with Ooh. nine goals and
0: nine assists.
1: You know, and I, I saw him playing earlier today. I You know, he had the pom-poms on his head and... Uh, Oh, I can't believe yeah, that's a great question you got me my friend you got me so <laughs> uh, without anything anything left on the list to talk about uh, let's hit the closing music let's do it all right here we go so for episode 350 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Ralph Hanna and for Manuel Veth for joining us on the show. Next week we'll dive a little deeper into MLS. We'll start to prep for the Champions League leg two in the round of 16, uh, and give you all the action that we can give you. Also, want to send our thoughts and prayers to everybody involved in the crisis in Ukraine. We hope everyone uh, gets out of this safe and that we have a, a safe and, and peaceful resolution to the conflict uh, to the folks there. So, for episode 350 of Low Limit Football, I'm Joe Ucello. I'm Abel Hus. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night.